0: an NY2C-exclusive podcast. You're listening to On The Call, the latest news and opinions on all things New York sports. With Joey Rinaldi and Derek Futter. On The Call starts now. Welcome to another episode of MY2C's On The Call, the New York sports podcast. We discuss all things New York sports. I'm Derek Futterman with a different backdrop behind me than normal, joined by Joey Rinaldi. Joey, how are you doing this week?
1: I'm doing great. A little bit nervous. I'm going back home to my hometown to do a big comedy show, which I'm nervous about because I like performing to Strangers, Derek. And because it's my hometown, I'm going to be performing to like everyone from my parents to like school teachers to the local deli guy that I grew up buying egg and cheeses from. And so, uh, it's going to be weird, but it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, that should be great. And definitely let me know how that goes. I'm not in Stanford at the moment, uh, but I I hope you have a really (laughs) good, I hope you have a really good show. Uh, it sounds like a ton of fun. I
1: could be doing a show in your backyard, and you would find a reason to not come. You'd be like, "No, something came, off. Uh, the the door out from my ba- my house to my backyard, it's broken." I overslept.
0: I I'm a little tired. I'm not feeling great, I don't want. I don't want to come outside. <laughs>
1: the last thing Derek wants to do is ever come to see me do comedy.
0: Well, I'm going to do it one day. I will, I will when you're in New York again, I will I will find an excuse to get to one of your shows. No, yeah,
1: when I when I have a gun to your head then you'll do it. Okay.
0: <laughs> Speaking of having a gun to someone's head, Mike White uh, seems to have lost his starter job after what was a complete debacle this past Sunday at MetLife Stadium. The Buffalo Bills took on the New York Jets and smoked them, to say the least. At one point the score was 38 to 3, and I know that because I was there witnessing this calamity. Of a game, and I, I, Jets... I, I don't
1: want to be—I don't want to be the asshole to say it, but I'm a Josh Johnson truther and a Joe Flacco lover, so that's why I never—I never could get on board with this white guy. So that, that's me. That's just me.
0: Well, Joe Flacco will be going this week as the New York Jets uh, continue their season to take on the Miami Dolphins. Of course, Flacco was acquired in a trade. Philadelphia Eagles uh, get a sixth-round pick in return. So Flacco hopefully provides some stability for the Jets, who are apparently not starting Zach Wilson, not because he's not healthy, because he's perfectly healthy. It's because his frame of mind and confidence are just not in the right place right now. So the Jets are going with the veteran.
1: Another rookie quarterback with a ghost problem. What are you going to do?
0: Seems to be a common thing. Meanwhile, you go to the Giants. They had a bye week last week, but they have a pretty big game coming up. Monday night as they take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, who just had a loss this week to Washington. And, of course, the Buccaneers are QB'd by the man who lost the Super Bowl at two to the Giants, and that's uh, Tom Brady. So, What are your thoughts on Tom Brady?
1: People say that Danny Dimes looks like Eli Manning, and hopefully he can play like Eli Manning, because when Eli would drop back and throw against a Tom Brady team, he did great. And Tom Brady's afraid of the Giants. Like, you know, he's he's nervous. Like, he's sweating this game out. Like, he's more nervous against the Giants than he is probably against the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Yeah, I mean, and he's not with the Patriots anymore or anything. It's just, I guess, the stigma of playing the Giants uh, has gotten in his head all of these years. Uh, and, and the you know, Giants, they love,
1: overcome. They love playing Tom Brady. They're going to love this.
0: Yeah, it's something that they're going to have to overcome. Of course, the Buccaneers are, you know, your arguable NFC favorites right now, even though no one team is really standing out this season. But the Giants, you know, go to Tampa, Raymond James Stadium, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Speaking of stadiums being renamed, I, I know this isn't directly New York related, but I, it, there is a way we have arenas around here. We have UBS Arena, the new home of the Islanders, which we visited a few months back, which is opening up this weekend. Uh You have the Prudential Center in Jersey, and you have Madison Square Garden, home of the Nixon Rangers. You have the Barclays Center, home of the Brooklyn Nets. You have all these arenas. Yeah, I mean, talking arenas strictly, though. Then L.A., I I just want to get your thoughts on this. Staples Center now, the Crypto.com Arena.
1: Yep, Crypto.com. Crypto is a weird word. The .com makes it 10 times worse. But you know what? It's a hip-hop world, sister. You got to keep up. You know what I mean? And so I, I, I think because of this, I may have to uh, take my uh, green cash and put it into the crypto world and get digitalized. How do you say it? I don't know.
0: Digitized. Digitized.
1: Digitized. And yes. then finally, I can buy some sketchy paraphernalia online because that's the point. Isn't that why people want cryptocurrencies so they can like buy drugs and serial killers uh, without anyone knowing about it?
0: <laughs> Perhaps. I, I have no idea. Uh, I mean, if we're talking about Brooklyn here, we have a pretty big guest coming on today. He, dire- he is the co-director of a big documentary on someone they called The Big Ticket. And The Big Ticket, Kevin Garnett, of course, power forward, NBA Hall of Famer, uh, 26,000 career points. He happened to play some years in Brooklyn. Uh, and Oh, I saw. I Nets, was there, baby. Yes, and if we look at the Brooklyn Nets as currently constructed, I'm going to be totally honest with you. And I think their owner has admitted it Joe Josiah. They're not ready to win the championship yet because they've been struggling against the good teams early in the season. You, you've seen it throughout the week. Golden State came in and completely embarrassed Brooklyn. Let's be real. They, they embarrassed them. Steph Curry was getting MVP chance in the Barkley Center. The Clays, as Kevin Durant has called it. Uh, and then Wednesday night, the Nets had a narrow win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, just things have been a little bit inconsistent with that team so far. Uh, Steve Nash running the show second year as the head coach. Rinaldi, what are your thoughts on the BK?
1: D'Antoni's not there anymore. That's it. I always thought D'Antoni was implementing some smart stuff behind the scenes. He's not there anymore. Uh, on top of that, there's no Kyrie, and on top of that, uh, Millsap, the three-headed dragon of Millsap, Blake Griffin, Aldridge, just too old, too slow, and they're in the way. That's what I'm saying, and uh, I think they gotta rely on better lineups when. When Claxon comes back, is Claxton back yet? Have we? Claxton will be back shortly.
0: He's been dealing. He okay. has a non-COVID related illness. He's been. Dealing this with. needs
1: to be the lineup that plays all the minutes. Are you ready for this? Get Go ahead. Ready.
0: Starting five. I Go want
1: ahead. James. Hard- I, I don't care about the starting five. It's the closing five I care okay, about. Okay, the closing you five.
0: Want,
1: yes. You want James Harden at point guard. You want uh, Big Bruce at shooting guard. You want yep. uh, you want uh, Joe Harris. Harris at small yep. forward. And you want a power forward in center, Claxton and Durant. And the reason why you want this to happen, like wait, this, Durant at it, center? No, power forward. Durant at power forward. Claxton. Oh, okay, Durant
0: at power forward. Claxton at center. Yeah. And the and uh, the okay. reason
1: why you want this is so the the offense should be this every time. Harden brings the ball up, Claxton picks and rolls. That way you have the lob threat with Claxton every single time. And guess what happens if the lob threat doesn't work? Guess what happens? Go you ahead, kick it out happens. to KD and make an isolation for KD. That literally is the most perfect situation. When KD isolation is your plan B, it's the best offense. But right now, people are setting pick and rolls on James Harden. And Blake Griffin, he can't really dunk that hard anymore. Aldridge doesn't like to roll that well. He does, He's not a lob threat. And Millsap, come on. The, the, the guy's cooked. So we need we need a young the young guns of Claxon. and the reason why I like having Harris out there is he has a three point threat and then you have Bruce Brown obviously out there because he's a dog and you need a dog to dive for loose balls yeah. guard the best defenders and give KD some rest because right now KD is guarding every person on the floor and you can't expect him to be the the ball the main ball handler. Uh, on the offense while guarding the best defender on the defense. It's too much work and it's too much usage. It's too it's much similar, usage.
0: It's similar to when LeBron was on the Cavs uh, in the, his championship season days. Uh, you know, and KD is out now. Uh, he's dealing with a shoulder impingement. He's actually out uh, for tonight's game against Orlando Magic. Uh, so, you know, the Nets are going to have to start, I think, you know, making sure that KD is well-rested, especially coming down the stretch. And maybe they'll get Kyrie back. Maybe they won't. He's the biggest question mark of all question marks in the NBA right now. So you really can't predict what's going to happen with uh, Kyrie Irving. Uh, All right, Joey. So how's this for a starting five? You got Darren Williams at the point. Then you got Paul Pierce, Joe Johnson, Brooke Lopez, and, of course, the big ticket, Kevin Garnett. I mean, unbelievable starting five of the 2013-14 Brooklyn Nets Uh, And the big ticket is who we're going to spotlight here. We sat down with co-director, of anything is possible, Eric W. Newman, his new film on Showtime, chronicling the career of Kevin Garnett. Let's get to that interview right now.
2: Welcome back to On The Call, an NY2C
0: exclusive podcast. Welcome back to NY2C's On The Call, the New York sports podcast. I'm Derek Futterman, joined as always by Joey Rinaldi. Joey, you're in Stamford, Connecticut. I'm in an undisclosed location in the New York metropolitan area, and we are thrilled to be joined today by co-director of Anything Is Possible, the brand-new Showtime documentary on the career of NBA Hall of Famer Kevin Garnett. Let's take a look at the trailer, and then we'll introduce our guest. I heard Pat Riley like, "Come on, let's get this started. Why are we even here? Got me
2: watching a high school guy."
1: And I was like, "A high school kid? No chance." The Timberwolves select Kevin Garnett from Farragut Academy. You You saw the future of what basketball was about to become. That complete crossover between basketball and hip hop. The level of intensity is what stood out. While you're in your bed sleeping, some people are working. He does whatever it takes to win a basketball game. I want them to know that I will fight. But
2: then everything changed. I wasn't the same. I wasn't the same, Kevin. So when you're a young player in the NBA, you're not prepared for this. What I didn't know is that I would be a bullseye but it was what I needed to go to the next step. He made a jump, which shook the lead. This was one of those tremor moments for the NBA. Unprecedented. Changed everything. Each year you hit the bottom and come back up to climb this mountain, it takes a little air out of you. But all I know is all out. Just everything I do, I want it to be as original as it can be. I want to be challenged to the point where it pushes me do, to the end. Anything's possible.
0: Please welcome to on the call, co-director of the new film Anything Is Possible, Eric W. Newman. How are you doing? This afternoon, Eric.
2: Great, guys. Thanks for having me. What's up, Joey? What's up, Derek? Joey, we got to find out where Derek is. Like, where is this mysterious basement? Uh, (laughs) This isn't my normal backdrop,
0: if you can see in the podcast uh, throughout our time doing it. So, yes, this is the first time I'm offset. But, look, we're all on the move. We're all on the go and creating some good content, uh, such as you, Eric, with the Kevin Garnett documentary. So I I have to start by asking. Can
1: Eric disclose? Oh, sorry.
0: (laughs) Can he disclose where he is?
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: absolutely i just got back to la so i was in new york for two plus weeks debuting the film i was lucky enough to be working on another project and then had some other things to uh to handle so i literally uh got off the plane about two hours ago so
1: i love I that awesome. you're wearing your celtics hat the same night I the lakers and celtics are playing tonight right uh, absolutely absolutely i got to get into my
2: pre-game routine right after we finish this so this for is sure. uh, not Thank just God. not they're, just a, not, not, not just not just another regular season game tonight so uh, looking forward to that. For not sure. at all.
0: Well, the man they call the big ticket. Uh, you did a documentary on that's KG. What inspired you to tell the story of the career of Kevin Garnett?
2: Oh, man. I mean, uh, this is kind of, you're not going to believe me. Like I grew up a Celtics fan in New York and I'm 43 years old. So my entire young adult life, I'm waiting for the Celtics to return. And growing up around the 90s Knicks and all the Knicks fans and kind of being envious of that. And then obviously had a couple of good years uh, earlier the Paul Pierce era. But um, when KG became a Celtic, I was working in basketball. I was a coach. I was a teacher. I was a clinic director. I did creative on the side, uh, always inspired by film and just watching KG play from the Celtics. Um, I'm a dreamer. And I visualized one day if I can become a filmmaker and get into the sports lane, this is the story I want to tell. And that's a decade plus ago. And thankfully, many, many things had to align for this to happen and worked with many, many great people on it, which we am sure we'll get into here. But that's the inspiration, man. And um, I'm just very fortunate that this all worked out. And uh, so far, the, uh, the response to the film, thankfully, has been pretty good. So hopefully that continues.
1: So, uh, I know Derek and I have tons of questions to tell you about, but uh, ask you about. But before we get into that, I kind of want to tell you why this is very personal for me that you made this movie. I got an antidote that you'll love. When I was five years old, my dad was working in Japan a lot, and uh, we didn't see him a lot. So, we had to go to visit my dad in Japan. And I was five years old, and I just got uh, the Game Boy with NBA Jam on it. And I was playing Kevin Garnett and Stefan Marber and the Timberwolves the whole plane ride, the whole 13 hour play ride. That's what I'm playing. We land in uh, Tokyo, and you know who's at the airport? Kevin KG. Garnett. You can't miss him. You cannot miss KG. He's, he's oh, no, like, you can't. especially in Japan. Especially in Japan, you cannot miss this guy. And he walks up to us and it seemed like he's walking right up to us. And I was like, no way, he's walking up to us. And he's walking up to us. And I look down. I'm wearing a Kevin Garnett jersey. And he asked my mom, Can I can I pick your son up? Next thing I know, I'm on his shoulders. And I literally never felt like higher in my life like being on kevin garnett's shoulder as a five-year old one reason. It felt, yeah it felt like it felt like being like bigger than like on like uh like the top of the empire state building like at that moment it was like the highest that you could possibly be like so that is, that is then incredible. Ever since then, joey
2: joey do you have a picture of
1: that my mom does you know what i should have gotten a joey, picture of joey oh. joey if you send me that picture i will show it to KG. All right. I will, I will make sure and that I'll text You I'll send text me that picture. Right I will,
2: now. Sh- I will show it to KG. And it's funny. You mentioned NBA jam because uh, last Saturday I did kind of a uh, early Thanksgiving with my family um, out on long Island. I have a niece and a nephew where my brother's place. And you know, my nephew's just wearing, like I send him Celtic stuff and then I show up and he's wearing Nick shorts or they'll send me a picture with him in a Lakers shirt. And it really, uh, you know, it, 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 it irks me humorously. So, um, I look at my brother, and I'm like, do you have NBA Jam on any, any of the video game systems? And I'm thinking, like, you know, OG 90s players. And we go down to the basement. He's got the Xbox there. And we fire it up. And, of course, it's KG and Pierce on the Celtics. And my nephew picks LeBron and Wade. And oh it's the God. most fun I've ever had talking. It's the most fun I've ever had talking shit to a 7 year old in my life. It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was fantastic.
1: That's um, awesome.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah. But no, as as you can tell already, and you know, you guys have probably, you know, read up on me a little bit, like the basketball and storytelling that it's, it, it's in my blood and it's, it is my DNA. And I'm lucky enough that I grew up um, having really like a, a ton of meaningful sports experiences. And both of my parents are very much into the arts. My mom, an artist and an art teacher. My father, just a film nut. It's got like three thousand movies in the house. I grew up with a free film education. I grew up going to the movies and seeing things I had no business seeing. And you take all of that together, and you take that passion, obviously for basketball, and the the backstory of me being a Celtics fan, which I get from my dad. And this has just been an unbelievable uh, experience.
0: So I have to ask: uh, you created the film, uh, produced the film, rather in the beginning of twenty twenty, and we all know what happened then. Uh, It was a very difficult, and it still is persisting, this COVID pandemic. So you being in media production, I have to ask, uh, I'm sure a lot changed, but does anything in particular really stand out about how films were changed in the way that they're made? And will that change continue as the world tries to enter
2: this new normal, as we're calling it? So we had four shoot days before the pandemic started, and it's pretty eerie what those shoot days were. The first two or January 24th and 25th in LA, which were the two days before the unfortunate Kobe Bryant tragedy. And literally 24 hours before the tragedy, we were like on the beach, those beach scenes with KG, the new ones, we were on the beach in Malibu, 10 miles away from where it happened. Um, And then we uh, were in Chicago for All-Star. You guys, of course, saw the All the Smoke episode, um, which you know some of those things were included in the film. And then he went over to that Hall of Fame uh, finalist press conference. And then the next day, uh, which was the most pivotal and crucial shoot of the film, uh, was the his return to Farragut. And if we don't get Farragut on President's Day Monday 2020, we may never get it because getting access to a school in there on President's Day Monday with no kids and getting Kevin back to Chicago, who knows if that ever happens. So we got those four shoot days in and then we had these plans about putting him together. Unfortunately, one of the scenes we wanted to do is with Kobe. We wanted to do a scene with him in person with Iverson. You see the scene with Doc, but we wanted to do that with Pierce and Isaiah Thomas. And we were trying to get Kevin McHale also. And then when COVID hit and the whole country and many parts of the world completely shut down, we were on a three-month pause and we literally had to reinvent in many ways how we were going to tell the story. Now we accumulated a magical chorus of voices, which can't be uh, ignored here. And I I feel so lucky that all of these people had all of these incredible stories and feelings and passion to share about KG, but we were literally making the film month by month. So when we restarted the film in June, 2020, Dan Levin, my co-director and I, we came out here. Dan uh, had a newborn on the way, so he only stayed for a week. I stayed for five weeks and that was pre the NBA coming back in the bubble. So that's where we got Pierce. That's where we got doc. That's where we got Rondo, Castell, Jelani, meta Barnes, like that big batch was there. After that, we were able to then start editing and continue to shoot. So it was literally cutting and shooting as we go and figuring out, okay, what do we got? How are we going to weave this all together? And until the spring of uh, early spring of 2021, um, you know, I kept pushing. We have so much material. This would great. This would be great to do in two parts. But I think, as we see from the film, we landed in the sweet spot here with how this two-hour feature feels. So that's a little I'm insight really to glad how you... things changed. Yeah, go ahead, Jeremy, oh, really This is your, you this is your to... show.
1: <laughs> No, the stuff you're saying is interesting. I don't want to cut you off. I was going to make a dumb joke. Uh, I'm just saying I'm glad you were able to get Rondo because I know he is. He's notorious for missing Kevin Garnett movies after uh, what happened <laughs> with the Uncut Gems. I don't know if you know that, Derek, but uh, Rondo was supposed to be in it and he just didn't show yeah. up.
2: Well, <laughs> so that's, that's awesome. 20. You got Rondo for yeah. this, though. I love Rondo. Yeah, but but uh, you know, I was doing an interview. Um, a few days ago, and the interviewer paid Dan and I a really nice compliment. He's like, we couldn't... You know, you have the little traces in the film, right, where you see masks and you see the way we are on set or or the the person touching up Rondo had the screen on in front of their eyes, right? But we got a really nice compliment the other day. Like, you really couldn't tell it was shot during a pandemic because of how well you guys did it. And I couldn't believe how well the remote shoots went. There's always something that messes you up in remote and obviously you guys have mastered what you're doing here but doing a podcast remote like we built with all the smoke during the pandemic which was very lucky because of my role at at showtime basketball and getting to do all the smoke and this during the pandemic was you know thank goodness uh, for, for that because who knows what would have happened to me mentally then but um you know sam mitchell remote danny ainge remote Scal gorman maxwell those guys were all remote jackie McMullen remote and thanks to the technology and just like team sports right you you've got to have the right role players and specialists doing everything um we had that across the board music editing camera obviously dan and i knew what the heck we were doing directorially thank goodness but like getting the remotes right and having it feel like all the other shoots even though the um uh, and and perk as well. The settings weren't as elaborate. We had to work with what we had, but they're clean. They're but but sleek, that's amazing that you didn't. were
1: able to, that was, that's amazing that you were able to like get it all done with all that hard, because it's it's really hard to like make a movie remote because as you're saying, you want to have, because I, I work in film myself and you want to have everything down from the, the setting, the background, to the hair, makeup, perfect. And with, with not having that control must have been as a producer and director, really hectic but that's awesome that you were able to work around that
2: yeah but the biggest thing we didn't have was that in-person connection when you're deep diving in that convo and because all of these subjects care about kg so much and had stories and were impacted by him so much we didn't feel that void and for that i'm uh, you know we're we're all blessed because some of these in-person interviews were some of the best interviews I've ever I've ever conducted, and it's because. Well, of well, that's that what connection. I
1: want to ask you about. I want to ask you about that. So, if you're having people like Jackie McMullen, who works with KG so regularly, and then Sam Cassell, who's been on two amazing teams with Kevin Garnett, how how are you able to? Because I feel like with Jackie McMullen and Sam Cassell alone, that could, that could be a two-hour movie of just their stories. Like how how many babies did you have to kill in this process? Like how many amazing stories and details that you have to leave out of this film
2: there's a lot that was not included a lot and you know we're developing floor there's a cutting room floor but you know uh our executive producer brian daly who's a close friend of mine he's the svp of 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 sports strategy and, and digital at showtime and he's the one that got showtime basketball greenlit and brought to life you know, we're planning a show with KG next. So we're going to utilize a lot of the things from the film that were either trimmed or abbreviated or didn't make it and build out extensions on digital platforms and do it there. So stay tuned for that. But obviously, you know, I don't want to spoil anything for the film. But, you know, we, we hit upon so many key moments and happenings in his career. But there's obviously things that are not in there as well because there's just not enough time. And I I have to, it's funny, right before we started, I was on on the phone with uh, our director of photography, Justin Francis, who is just an absolute rock star. Um, But our editor, James Lester, who has worked on many, many high level documentary process uh, projects, excuse me, continued to challenge me weekly at every turn. Eric, this has to keep moving forward. Eric, I know that's a great Celtic story. Eric, I know you want all this 90s flavor in here. We have to keep moving forward. We have to keep moving forward. We have to keep moving forward. And the pacing of the film is what is so exciting to me because it just keeps moving the entire time. And, you know, thank goodness we were able to create that formula of the present day stops and visits and then go back to the flow of his career and during those different time periods. Yeah, and when Why you do talk I about... Why I feel like
1: you're... Oh, sorry. You, that's so fine. This is the one thing I hate about the remote stuff. Is this, 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 these are because the issues. I know. <laughs> oh, you, so. got,
2: you guys got to get your hand signals straight. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? like, you know, we can raise our hands like you do on a video <laughs> conference or something.
1: Take <laughs> it away, Derek. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, so KG moving around throughout his career. He was drafted by the T-Wolves. He played there for a very long time. Then he went to Boston. And he wins a championship in Boston the first year he's there. Then... You know, he's part of another big trade that perhaps you know set the Brooklyn Nets organization back once it was time for him to go. Uh, but he played in Brooklyn for a while, and then he goes back to Minnesota. So I want to ask: Were there any moments that KG said in his interviews, or something from the film, anything in his career that really stands out as being like kind of a career-defining moment for him in the in that
2: time? Oh, one defining moment. I mean, that's that's the, the, the there's so much that happens in Minnesota. Although the right? title of the
1: movie may be the current, the career defining moment. Sure, sure, but it's you know it's it's that
2: climb and it's that it's that grind. And for as beautiful as his game was, right on both ends of the floor, like he's putting the hard hat on every day. You know, and it's obviously he reaches the mountaintop with the Celtics and the journey to get there is, is very strenuous and, and him opening up his mind to even accepting the, uh, the trade and the change was something that he obviously had to really uh, just adjust his, his, um, his thought process around. He never, he never envisioned leaving Minnesota. He's a very loyal guy who wanted to win there. Uh, you know, listen, he was there during a time when, you know, we didn't have phones in our hands all the time and everyone didn't know what everybody was doing multiple times a day. So he was doing all this incredible community work. He was a staple in that community. He was a fixture there. Obviously he's, you know, uh, two wins away from the finals in 2004. And, you know, after that, clearly him and the organization were not aligned and he knew he had to make a move. So obviously, you know, getting to the mountaintop in Boston, which is something that, you know, I watched very closely back then as a, as a, as a fan. And, um, there's, there's, there's nights I think back to back then where it was literally like, I, I literally thought I had transported myself to sitting at the end of the Celtics bench, but, um, you know, why do I feel like the, the original the,
1: cut of this movie was just KG Celtics career? <laughs>
2: well, there's, there's a lot that happens before that Brooklyn trade, right? There's a lot yes. that happens in six oh, years. Yeah. And a lot of the things that happen during that time we're still feeling the effects of in the league today. So obviously the first thing was, you know, creating their big three super team. And, you know, I have my definition of what a super team means. Um, Other people have theirs. Obviously you got to win. But you know, that is what led to LeBron to Miami and that great battle in, uh, you know, 2011 wasn't a great series, but 2012 was an incredible conference finals where the Celtics were so close. And, Obviously, um, LeBron played one of the great games of his career in Game 6 in Boston in 2012, which I was at. Uh, I was also at LeBron's Game 7 in Boston in 2018. So uh, whenever I go to a big LeBron game in Boston, the Celtics always lose. Um, But, you know, (laughs) Derek, Derek, back to your question. I mean, it's not... To me, it's just... So many of the details he shared and the stories and the passion during the NBA career well one thing, but you know, let's not forget the role that Chicago played, not just in the film, but in his story. He goes to Chicago as Kevin. He leaves Chicago as KG. He is completely unleashed and transformed um and reaches the next level through that experience in Chicago, which um, you know, we we've felt Really strongly about, especially after that Farragut experience, our last shoot uh, before the pandemic, in, uh, and including Derek. I got a question for you. Did you go to high school in Brooklyn? No. Okay. Then it's not. <laughs> then it's not. Got it. No. no. Interesting question.
0: <laughs> Brooklyn is not the location that I'm in right now. For your
2: information. No. You. you no. You. 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 You gave it away during your rehearsal. You're you're somewhere in the five one six to the six three one. We'll get to we'll get to the bottom of it. We'll get to the yes, bottom.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I know I'm in the. I know I got the Brooklyn black uh, Brooklyn neck color
2: on, so I, I understand. No, it's your name is tied to is someone else has your last name that's tied to a funny story. Um, really? Yeah, I won't, It's not worth well, going into. Well, we can't. But, you uh, know,
0: two funny two yeah. stories that are extremely ironic in one podcast is kind of hard to do. We had the Joey story oh. before with KG on his shoulders. Uh, I didn't even know I, that I myself. Literally,
1: I don't know why it didn't even. I think that I didn't think of it until I saw you. The second I saw Eric, I was like, oh, God, I got to tell this story. I totally. I forgot yeah. about it for a second.
2: No, that's funny. That's funny. As I said, send me that picture. Send me that picture. But um, I just,
1: I te- my mom and I are texting right now while we're <laughs> potting.
0: <laughs> you can't wait. Uh, so I got to ask, uh, Eric, as a producer for Showtime Basketball, you've taken on this Kevin Garnett documentary, and now that's out to watch, and you're doing all the smoke I have to ask, what do you view as the future of sports media? I mean, you have podcasts, you have documentaries, like your your own documentary, The Last Dance, uh, you saw during the pandemic. There are so many things going on right now as consumption habits are changing. What do you view as the future?
2: Well, the future is definitely more of these uh, stories being driven first and foremost by the players themselves. Obviously, we've been seeing this stuff happen both in video and in print um i'd say now for the past uh you know six seven years really consistently and you know showtime basketball was born from the fact that showtime network had this really great library of basketball documentaries you think back to the kobe doc iverson you've got Shut up and dribble. You've got the resurgence, DeMarcus Cousins, which I was uh, one of the executive producers on. You have Quiet Storm, which was made by Johnny Sweet first at Bleacher Report and then that came over to Showtime. Um, I'm probably I'm one and done with Ben Simmons. So uh, and and also um, you know an episodic series that I don't know if you guys watched was uh, the Hurley Legacy series about the great coach Bob Hurley trying to save St. Anthony's while coaching them through a season, which Brian Daly. Uh, conceived over there. So we had all these exciting properties and we're like, well, why don't we create a content ecosystem around these and and create some real connectivity here and have an umbrella instead of them just being on the platform with, with everything else, which obviously being on the Showtime platform is great, but we all know the appetite for basketball storytelling both domestically and globally. So it was born from that vision, but then you bring... Stack and Barnes into the equation and you know Matt Barnes had all of these visions for different things he wanted to do obviously him and Stack are very tight going back to the uh, 2007 We Believe Warriors and ironically Stack has this stellar interview in Quiet Storm because he was obviously on the Pacers team with with Artest and with Jermaine O'Neal. Barnes and I met for the first time when I was interviewing him for the DeMarcus Cousins film and I was just so blown away by how just knowledgeable. He was passionate. He was in his own way. Obviously he's, he's very even keel, but he's very thoughtful. He's very insightful. So, yeah. you know, I just told Brian Daly, I said, Hey, the Barnes interview was great. So we were working on that project together too. And I said, you know, reach out to him because he wants to do some things. And then all of a sudden we've got this concept that we knew was going to be good, but we didn't know how fast it was going to grow and catch on. So um, I'm proud to say, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I'm proud to say like, you know, we're one of the leaders in this space right now and it's really exciting. And I don't want to demean anyone or talk negatively about any of the networks or anything like that. But haven't we had (laughs) enough of, haven't we had enough of guys in suits just yelling at each other or giving 60 second, 90 second analysis and everything being forced in like, this is, this is storytelling. This is deep dives. This is the human side of it too. Like, You look at the guests on All the Smoke, look at what they share with us because they know they can trust Matt and Stack. They know that they all trust us. We're not taking anything out of context. Hot takes, clickbait, that's not who we are. Deep dive storytelling, real storytelling, and the human side of all this. At the end of the day, you can't judge athletes and you can't get to know athletes just by what you see for those two hours where they're inside the lines. It's impossible. And No, we feel I like couldn't we've...
1: agree more with you because, like, whenever I listen to, like, Zach Lowe or Bill Simmons, like, put their input on, like, what's going on in basketball players' mind, it always sounds very, like, forced and foreign. And then you put on all the smoke and, like, you have Stephen Jackson literally explaining what was going on in his mind. And it's, like, night and day, the, the, what you're hearing is totally different. It's than, camaraderie. Like, what
2: well, there's the camaraderie, there's the respect, but you know, I've lost track. It's of also like how many, it's reality.
1: It's it's more exactly yeah. what first. It's firsthand. It's firsthand, and and
2: I, I I lose track of how many. You know, we're I've lost track of how many episodes we've done at this point. We're up in the in the in the one teen somewhere. Um, you know, the first hundred episodes lose track of just how many times that and you know we've had obviously great non-nba guests too but how many times like that that nba guest who was in the league either before stack and Barnes or with them and you know some of the present day guys uh, as well but they're still in it now they don't reflect on it the same way but just they go back to these stories and whether it's a playoff series that we all forgot about or what it was like to play on the road or four nights uh, four games and five nights on a road trip and Obviously, all the fun stuff that goes on off the floor, there's just so much to dive into that we never get to hear about. And you're not going to have documentary crews and cameras everywhere because the guys need to be away from that and everything is not meant to be filmed. But the way they have these conversations, it's it's unbelievable. And I lost count of how many times I'll be sitting next to that main camera on the set, plugged in with the rundown eight feet away from the guys and I'll look at either Brian or I'll look at one of our other great, you know, teammates, colleagues. And I'll just be like, can you believe we just got that shit? Like, can you believe, can you believe that's a part of this episode now? It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's it's everything. It's everything I ever could have dreamt of in terms of creating basketball content.
0: That that's that's awesome. uh, You're doing that. Uh, Joey, I, I know to close out here, we have a little something special.
1: Oh, oh I, I had one more question that I'm dying to ask, but oh, we that's yeah, ask I got I got time okay. for one more, one more, I know you sprung it on this a little bit, but as such a KG fan, I just have to ask, what's your relationship with KG now that you made this movie with him?
2: It's pretty great. It's pretty surreal. Um, we spent all of 2019 like developing it and building that trust, and you know he doesn't mess around when it comes to trust and having people be a a part of his circle and doing the phone calls and doing the work, but trusting us that we were going to get this right and capture this the right way and really have it be his voice. So, you know, from the work side of things, it's great. And on a personal side, you know, are we on the phone every day? No. Am I going to meet KG for dinner once a week? No, but um, it's a pretty great bond that we've formed between myself, uh, Brian Daly Dan Levin, Mark Levin from Blowback Productions, Mike Morangu and uh, Brian Bedden from his company Content Cartel, and it's it, it's a real family connection uh, around everything we've been doing. So um, it's pretty cool, man. It's pretty cool. I don't think it's set in yet, Joey, to be honest with you. But I'm not the one that's got a picture of myself on his shoulders at five years old. That's you. Speaking
1: of which, I so that's me, and <laughs> so that's me in the front with my sucking my thumb. So it turns out my mom was so starstruck she didn't take a picture when I was on the shoulders, and I got some of the story wrong. It wasn't the airport; it was the the hotel lobby. I thought it was the airport lobby. It was the hotel. Lobby. I was five years old, so my memory's all shot. And I wasn't all wearing good. a KG jersey. I was wearing an N one shirt that he thought was cool.
2: That's awesome. So that's an N one shirt. Send it to me and just remind me what year it is when you send it, and I'll uh, I'll show that to him the next time I see him, without a doubt.
1: Awesome. I think it was 2000 when it happened, but yeah.
2: Welcome back to
0: On The Call, an NY2C exclusive podcast. Of course, we thank Eric W. Newman for coming on to the show today. Anything is possible. The new documentary on the career of NBA Hall of Famer Kevin Garnett, available now on Showtime Basketball. And I'm back with Joey Rinaldi, as always. So, Joey, before we close out here, let's get into some baseball talk. Thor is heading west. Noah Syndergaard is the newest starting pitcher for the Los Angeles Angels. He takes a one-year, $21 million deal in what he called, quote, the hardest decision ever of my life to leave the Mets. I mean, Joey, what are your thoughts now on the fireballer heading to SoCal?
1: I'm going to miss him. But the thing is, I have no hate. I just want to wish him the best and a lot of love because I get it. He was in a toxic clubhouse. And this is what the Mets have to realize when you are putting your players at a clubhouse where there's no communication, where you're having new guys uh, be bad leaders, and you know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Lindor, really not setting a good president up front, and you're not winning when you're in first place and then give it up at the last stretch to some bozo teams like the Braves, ah yuck. You know what you I know mean? You know what the Braves do. Yeah, exactly. And the Mets could have they could have prevented that, and it just this is the Mets you you get what you give and the Mets gave Syndergaard and a lot of nothing this season. And so I kind of get why he had to leave and I wish him the best. And I hope his new clubhouse uh, isn't as toxic and messy as his last one.
0: And that clubhouse has guys like Mike Trout, Anthony Mardone, and of course the unanimous AL MVP, Shohei Ohtani, Uh, both sides of the ball, just an all-star tremendous player. The Mets also, have hired former GM of the Angels and former assistant GM of the Yankees. He returns to New York. It's Billy Epler. Billy Epler gets a four-year deal. And uh, in his introductory press conference, uh, Mets owner Steve Cohen pretty much laid it down saying, look, I've given Sandy Alderson and and uh, and Billy Epler all the resources they need. They can go ahead and spend whatever it's going to take to put a winner on the field. And I think Mets fans it would be remiss to say that they have not been waiting for that message for a long time. Uh, just because of the situation that the team has been in uh so Joey what are your so thoughts how many, here how on many the Mets how
1: many G, how many GMs is this in the past 5 years
0: that is 4 i believe now this is number 4
1: not including the interim GM that we had for 5 seconds last year
0: no including the interim GM uh, Jared Porter okay, okay. about. yes this is number 4 so we'll see how number 4 does <sighs>
1: This is what but if you, wait hold on, about. but if you want
0: to count but if you want to count the three-headed thing, remember when there were three guys running baseball operations? Uh when Sandy got oh, yeah, to step yeah, away yeah. Of, so we could actually say seven.
1: Dude, this is what I'm talking about. If you look at the best teams year in, year out, it's the teams that have have continuity. It like I I know the Astros uh people hate them, but before the whole scandal, they had so much continuity. The Red Sox have so much continuity. These teams that you keep seeing time and time again, the Dodgers, it's the continuity that makes teams great because it sets these presidents where you come in the locker room, you know what to do, you know how to get your job done. How is any of these Mets players going to know what their job is and what their role is when literally the people up top keep changing? Yeah. Whoever this new guy is, what's his name, Eckler? Right? Bill, is Billy Epler. Name? Epler. 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 If this epplet guy, it, 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 I don't care if he has a good season this season because that's that's irrelevant to me. I just want epplet to be the next season and the season after and the season after that just to make some consistency so people know what the Mets are all about. And hopefully uh, this works. And But if you hear the sadness in my voice, it's because this is the voice of somebody who's been watching the Mets for too long.
0: You know what? Watch the Kevin Garnett documentary if you haven't already. <laughs> Unbelievable film. Eric W. Newman, we thank you again coming on the show today on The Call. That'll do it for us on The Call. Of course, you can watch us every week on MY2C.com or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Derek Futterman, joined as always by Joey Rinaldi. Joey, what do you do to end off each show?
1: Tonight, there's what I'm doing. We're going to be back next week and the next week and the next week because unlike the Mets, you know what you're getting from Joey and Derek. Bye. 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 Bye!
2: On The Call. New episodes every week. Available wherever you get your podcasts and online at ny2c.com.